What's going on, everybody? I know it's been quite a while, but this is your boy, Jesse McCoy, and I am back with the world's foremost legal humorist, Sean Carter. How are you doing, man? Not as good as you, man. I, I, I was stuck in, in Arizona, um, which, you know, which is basically the equivalent to being on the sun, and, uh, and, and you've been out there frolicking. So go ahead and brag about your vacation, where you've been. Well, you know, we did a, a very intense vacation this time. We we got a little aggressive about all the things that we wanted to do and all the places that we wanted to see. So uh, we ended up doing a cruise uh, that left out of New York City and went to uh, Bermuda, Hamilton, Bermuda, actually. Okay. Uh, while in Bermuda, we got some time to experience the pink sands and Microsoft screensaver uh, <laughs> scenery uh, of Horseshoe Bay. And we also got a chance to learn a little bit about Bermuda history and Bermuda culture, uh, but didn't learn much about Bermuda food or uh, gifts uh, because they were expensive, <laughs> very expensive. Uh, and then after that, we sailed back into New York City, drove up to Niagara Falls, Canada. Uh, it's my first time going to Canada. I was very impressed by Canada. Uh, and I will say that it seems like this American experiment has been, uh, I'll say, perfected by the Canadians <laughs> in a lot of different ways. <laughs> well, and, and we want to talk about that today because, you know, after every election where the Republicans win, you know, Democrats say we're going to think about going elsewhere. I think the first time any of us ever really meant it was after this last election. And in 2016, and particularly not just the election, but what's everything that's going on since then. And, you know, it's a thought I've had a you know, hundred times. So we want to talk about sort of, you know, if we were going to try to, 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 to flee, um, you know, is there a place to go? Um, assuming, you know, you, you could get there. Now we, we're going to, I think both say that probably neither one of us would ever go because we can't get everybody there and we're not going to leave behind the folks. Right. Um, that, you know, would be really, really, you know, hurt. Um, if everybody with a little resource, right. And, and, you know, with resources and, 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 you know, particular skills, whatever left, right. Then it'd just be, you know, Mississippi everywhere. Right. So we're, you know, we're, we're probably going to stick it out, but if we're fantasizing about it, right. And think about where we would go. You liked Canada. I, I was very impressed with Canada, man. I didn't have, uh, I didn't really know what to expect outside of knowing that they really like maple syrup. <laughs> I didn't really know what else to uh, to expect from Canada, and uh, you know I was very very surprised. So you know my my biggest thing to any black listener, especially, uh, is we got to travel, man. Like yes. you got to go outside of the United States and kind of see how things are working, how things are perceived. Um, I got the benefit of seeing black people in Bermuda and how life was for them versus black people in Canada. And then of course, returning back to see black life in America. Uh, and what I will say is in Bermuda, we got a lot of stories about how they took their country back. They have very limited British interference uh, and that they created their own system of economy based on reinsurance, which was something I didn't even know existed. Um, and they, they, they basically have a currency system that, is in step with the American dollar. So 
one Bermuda dollar is equal to one American dollar. So it's not like you're going to go there and get things at a discount or even negotiate and barter because tourism isn't their primary uh, source of income. Right. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, and it's, and it's, it's empowering to see black people in positions of power, owning businesses, owning reinsurance agencies. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it, it does something to your soul. It lets you feel good. No, and, and I tell you what I like about it. Like, so go back for a second. One thing that's nice about there, as opposed to you know some of the other islands you can go to where there are some black people on it, is I always like to see black people who are not waiting for me to get there. Like, if, whether right. I come or not, the people in Bermuda are going to be doing what they do. Right, I can come and enjoy some of it if I want, but if not, hey, they're gonna be all right. I don't want nobody waiting for me when I get off the boat, right? Like, hey, 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 I've been waiting for you to get here. Um, and so I like to see black people got their own stuff and like, hey, you can come if you're not, whatever. Do do you, boo boo? Absolutely, absolutely. And every island nation is is very very different from the other, so you'll find a lot of places. Uh, I don't want to unfairly criticize any any, any nations out there because we love you all. But uh, there are some nations that people will say, you better not lead a resort. Right. Uh, <laughs> it gets real out there. Uh, and so because of this, you know, it is refreshing to see black people, like you said, who, who are functional and, you know, control their government, control their system and, you know, are, are doing well for themselves. Um, and then you juxtapose that with when I got to Canada, the first thing I noticed was interracial dating and marriage is like a big thing there. And I'm not talking about interracial, like the traditional interracial black man, white woman couple that you see here. I'm talking about like groups of people that you never even would have imagined to get together. Like Palestinians and Israelis are married. You know, like it's like that. And you're like, wow. So Pakistanis and Indian, like, like you just would never imagine what happened? And it's almost like people left. They go to Canada. They actually believe in the concept of love and freedom and liberty or whatever. Um, the other thing that me just, you know, I, I talk a lot on the show about uh, growing up in a low income area and having to deal with some of the issues after, uh, you know, crack decimated the community and things like that. But one of the things that was really refreshing is in walking around Niagara Falls, People in Canada were very friendly to you, even at nighttime. Right, so I would right. get on elevators with people. Nobody clutched their purse. Nobody ran across the street to get away from me. The police all said, hello, A. Uh, like there, was, <laughs> there was nothing um, n- nothing that stood out as bad. And even had people come up to us and would you know, would see us taking pictures and say, oh, do, would you like me to take a picture of you? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, they would say, oh, well, do you mind taking a picture of of me and our family. And this is at nighttime, people. Right. This is like most, if, if you're from America, if you're listening to this from America, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, when people approach you at nighttime, it's usually not for a good intention. So, <laughs> so, well, so well, and, as a black person, that's the benefit that you get. When you're walking around at nighttime, you don't necessarily have to worry about being bothered by anybody because most people are more intimidated about what they think you're going to do. Right. So to have people come up and say, hey, my friend, do you mind taking a picture of us? Oh, well, you know, can can I, I'll take a picture of you guys. Hey, where are you from? Like stuff like that. It's very refreshing. It's like, wow, this is how stuff was before 
violence <laughs> came, <laughs> came into the picture. Well, I tell you what's interesting. So I'm looking at the Canadian democrat not the Canadian, because we, we, we need to be clear. Canada's a huge country, a lot like the U.S., sure. where you have, you know, very disparate you know, areas. You know, the area of Alberta, which would be like above Montana and, um, you know, North Dakota, it was a lot different, right, than, say, um, oh. Toronto or Montreal. But I'm looking at Toronto's demographics, right? Their city, forty only forty eight percent is white. Okay, um, twelve and a half percent is South Asian. Eleven uh, percent is Chinese. They made those different. Black is is almost is nine percent. Filipino is six percent. Um, we got Latin Americans, um, Arabs, basically every group you you can you can imagine. But you're right; it is very very different than the U.S. in the sense that you know we only get this kind of you know um, melting pot in a very few cities in America. Because even though there are a lot of cities with a lot of black people in them, most of those cities don't don't have other minorities in, right? You go to Jackson, Mississippi, right? right? Half of people might be black, but you're not going to find, you know, very many Latinos, Asians, right? Um, you know, na- native folks. And so, you know, this is one of those few cities like New York where it's a melting pot, right? We have a lot of, of this stuff going on. Now, the thing that's interesting, though, is recently in their last 2016 election, I'm not, you know, they seem to be going the other way when they threw out their um, liberal party and brought in their oxymoronic named uh, conservative party. Was that the, the progressive conservative? The progressive party? conservative. <laughs> and, and then Making progress in. one step backward at a time. Thank you. And you know, <laughs> you're talking about, you know, going full whitey. This was amazing because they brought in to be their premier. And I don't know what that is, by the way. Right, I don't know if that's uh, you know is it is a top legislator, is it a special you know the, the person, but, but I do know this that that their top official now is a guy named Doug Ford, and you know Doug Ford because you know his last name, his brother Rob Ford, the mayor a few years ago, the crack smoking mayor. That's right. Now, he how does your brother get the job? And he smoked crack in it. Now, by the way, not before, right? We're going, we, we have grace for people who make mistakes before, but he was in the top job, smoked crack in it. And you go, you know what? I'll take over. And, and people say, yeah, his brother should be the one to take over for this. It worked so well the last time we had a Ford in there. Let's go ahead and bring another one back. <laughs> you know how white you got it. You got to be translucent to pull that off. Absolutely. I Absolutely. wish in the world that a Barack Obama could, could smoke crack. And then have Michelle be made president next. <laughs> there wouldn't be another black person for 400 years. I, I was just impressed how Rob Ford smoked crack and still was overweight. That that was impressive <laughs> to me. That is impressive. You know, Rob, Rob, Rob Ford was 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 a crazy guy. Um, because you're right, it is it is hard to, to imagine that you could do both, right? But he was committed. <laughs> all right, he was going to do He's all the vices. Yeah, he wasn't gonna sit here and just do one or two vices, right? He gonna you know overeat and oversmoke and overdrink. He was gonna do it all, right? Right. Um, and, and so you know, it's interesting what what happens with, with Canada now. I have a little experience with Canada. I've been there maybe you know eight or nine times or so, never more than a few days at a time on business trips. Um, I can tell you that you know I went to Montreal. And Montreal is a wonderful mm-hmm. city. That's where I recommend you go next. The thing that's interesting about Montreal is, is that they have the dual languages there of French and English. But unlike every other province, the 
the preferred language in Montreal is 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 French. So when you go, for example, I remember I was at a restaurant. Um, the menu I think might have been French and English, but when I went to swipe my card, they handed me the, you know the little thing you put in your code in, and all those instructions were in French. So I probably tipped the person like 700% because I had no idea what it was saying. Right? I'm just pushing in numbers. <laughs> tipped in my pin code. I have no idea what it was pen or, or, you know, was a tip. Who knows? I'm just pushing in numbers, right? And, and, and I remember going to, um, to Tim Hortons there and the menu was in French. And I'm like, oh man, I, 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 you know, I'm in there ordering like a six year old. I want the, the the brown one. See the brown one there with the red sprinkles? Give me that one. <laughs> Dose, please, um, which I think is a different language. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so it was it was interesting there, but it was still kind of the same thing you're talking about. A lot of people from all over the world, I love that Canadian diversity where it's not just black, right? It's not just Latino. Right. It is everything, right? Um, and right. I went to Saskatchewan, though, and I had to play uh, Black Iman Go in Saskatchewan. Um, I had to try to <laughs> capture all the black people with my camera and put it on Facebook. Uh, I only found two. Um, and 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 literally, when you when I saw a black person in Saskatchewan, you just start hugging, right? That's all it really was to do was just to hug, brother, <laughs> and be like, I thought I was the only one. I mean, it was days at a time before I saw another black person. So, you know, you see that, you know, Canada has kind of that thing where we are, where you go to some parts of the, of the U.S. and there's no diversity to be seen, right? Um, and so Canada has, 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 has that issue. But there are major cities, you know, lots of diversity and, and you know, and, and lots, of, lots of good thinking. One of the things that I like, and you tell me about this, is that they seem to be – like you know, I think you had a great way to put it. You know, the America that 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 we have been sold, but they're actually trying to live it. Right, right. So one of the things that I uh, recognized immediately when we got to the hotel, there was a doctor's office and a dental office in the hotel, and it's not <laughs> that you had to make an appointment three months in advance and submit, <laughs> make sure the claim is going to get approved and. Uh, you know, that you had a copay and doing all that. It was just like, okay, well, if you need a doctor, just come to the doctor. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, why, why is, you know, almost to the point where as an American, I didn't trust it. Right. So right, thought, right. Why are they, why are they so eager to help people in bad situations? Especially being you black, know, you're thinking, I'm, I'm getting syphilis, right? You know how you know how you know how our doctors have been, yeah. So, so, but you know, but we gotta talk about that because it's one of the things that's amazing about me, and this goes beyond race. You know, it just seems like as Americans, we're so backwards, right? In America, mm-hmm. you can live in the richest country in the history of the world and still die of something completely preventable because you don't have money. And every other industrialized country has figured out, hey, that's not what we're gonna do. Now we're going to have different right. types of systems and maybe some systems the delivery isn't as good as others. Maybe in some systems, you know, you're not going to get all the care you might get in another system, but we're all going to have as a baseline that you should not die from being poor. And in America, we haven't even decided that part yet. Nevertheless, how we're going to do it, but we can't even get half people to agree that someone should not die because they don't have money because half of Americans would say, Oh yeah, that, that's just, that's what you get for being poor. How dare you? 
Right, right. Yeah, poor people are supposed to die in America. That's that's America. That, that's way. the incentive to not um, be poor, right? That's why you would work hard, right? So you don't have right. to die from no food or no medicine. Right, and don't that's ask for hands. Like, yeah, but, but, but it's so backwards. And here's the thing: you understand. I understand the idea that you know, no one, and neither one of us is arguing that you go completely communist. There's a, there's a, a, a good thing about a market. Uh, I I tend to like markets. They they tend to overvalue my meager skills, so I like markets a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is ridiculous. Um, but the thing about it is, to me, is like there's certain things that should probably be outside the market. And we do this all the time with our slave patrol or police. You don't have to have money to call the police on black people, right? You don't have to, you don't have to have a copay, right? There's certain things that we think everybody in America should be entitled to police service, right? Firefighting, right? You know, all that type of stuff. Schools. We think everybody, even poor people should be able to send their kids to schools. Now they're going to be crappy schools, but we don't think that if you're poor, you should just be illiterate, right? Your kids should just be illiterate. We understand that there's certain things as a society are important to us and we haven't been able to figure out that this one might be that people dying in the streets just might not be a good look for a country. Well, you know, it's one of those things where whenever you bring up just even the concept of socialist principles, people always want to jump to the worst case scenario. So they always want to talk about (laughs) Venezuela or whatever. And they don't realize that places like Norway, Sweden, uh, most of Europe, Canada, these are what you would consider to be traditionally socialist uh, communities. And and part of it is, um, you know, Stephen Colbert had a clip where he was uh, reading a, a conservative columnist who had went to go visit uh, Ocasio Cortez uh, at one of her rallies. And a conservative co- columnist started talking about how she felt like it was so easy to be lulled into the belief, the mistaken belief that education for everybody is right. It was like, well, yeah, it, it is right. Like everybody should have free education. I don't understand why you wouldn't want everybody's kids to be educated. It seems like the bare minimum. The bare minimum, right? And I got to tell you, I, I got so disgusted um, recently that I decided, you know what, it, it, I might need to get my family out of here, right? You can't save everybody, but maybe, you know, the Carters can go out and, and, and live somewhere better. My four sons can have an opportunity for something better than, than this. And I was so desperate, you know, I, I, I know for my skill set, I need to be in an English speaking country because what I do for a living is speak. Right. That it seems to me that at the very minimum, I need to be able to talk in the language that most of the people speak in and that place. All right. That's all. So my Certainly. options are limited. Right. I'm not looking at, you know, a lot of places, <laughs> you know, the scan. I'm not going to learn how to speak uh, Norwegian. Right. Anytime soon. So I'm looking yeah. at, at, at some places and it was so crazy. At one point, I found myself looking at Iceland. And Ooh. and here's why is because I was like these people at least have figured out um, so some things um, like for instance that you know you should not only pay for just you know crappy schools but even good schools for people and so their universities are public right um, mm. the fact that you know obviously the healthcare system and when you look at their average you know you went on vacation and we talked about this right. I'm self-employed. I've been self-employed the last 15 years. The idea of going on vacation for two and a half, three weeks, to to me, is it's unfathomable. All right? Because remember, (laughs) I'm not getting paid, right, if I'm I'm gone. 
But most Americans have jobs. A lot of people like you have a good job, right? Stable job. But for most Americans, the idea of going away for several weeks is, is unfathomable. But I have a bunch of friends who will come from Australia and they'll spend a month here. And by the way, they're not rich yeah. people. They're just, you know, normal people with, you know, with good jobs. And, 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 you know, they think about it. They call it something, you know, vacation and, 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 and oh, I'm sorry, holiday. We're going on holiday. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in America, if you, if you get a three day weekend, you feel you consider yourself lucky. Like we can't even figure yeah. out that we should not work ourselves to death in America. <laughs> And and, and and I, you know, will justify mine because I'm like, look, I'm building a business here. This is something that, you know, I hopefully can pass on to my sons. It, it, it's worth it to kill yourself a little bit extra. But, but, but you know, but but not to, to be on the third shift, right, at the Quickie Mart. Mm. But still, most Americans, yeah. you know, the idea of, you, know, you think about it, you've, you've been out of the country, you've already got most of us beat. You've got a passport. Right. Right. And and what I'll say is this, I, I think that that's why traveling, particularly for members of the black community, that's why traveling is so important, because you need to get out and see how the world operates. We have this this thought process in America that we do everything right. Like, <laughs> the American way is the only way that things can be done. And I'm not trying to knock the country because I'm sure somebody's going to hear this and post a comment about, oh, they're not American. This is treason. As if we're colluding with Russia for the presidency. <laughs> uh, but no, my, my point is, when you, when you go overseas and you see the the world didn't fall apart, people are not just living good lives, but they're prospering. Um, and you see that it's not as difficult. It's more of a decision based on the people who are put in a place to have the decision. It's more so just a matter of them voting to say, we want to ensure that certain basic uh, social principles in our community are all accepted and everybody has access to it. Well, and like, I don't it, think that's crazy. It, no, it's, it's like, well, here's my problem, though, is I think if you, you know, if, if one, we have people who just literally can't see that because somehow they've gotten to this idea that, you know, there should be a penalty, I guess, for poorness, for, for poverty, right? So therefore, you'd want to work harder as if the incentives for wealth are just not enough as it is. It's not enough right, to just right, do right. everything and have everything, but no, no, we need to really put it on you if, if, if you can't make it. But, 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 but you're talking about, you know, we're just like in this country stuck on stupid. And, and what I mean by that is even something that is obvious. So let me give you a great example of this. The metric system. Hmm. We are like the only idiots in the entire world who are still counting feet and gallons. All right. And acres. Right? Everybody else in the world has moved to a base set 10 system and we can't. And we, we think about it. it you, I mean, you're probably too young for this, but I remember this in the seventies. Jimmy Carter tried to bring us along to this for about three weeks. We had, uh, leaders in the gas station. About three weeks, we were going to, we were going to move over one day in, in, in magical day. I think it was 1976. We were just going to move over to the metric system and we looked at the metric system and we're like, eh, no, no, that, that's too hard. Now, now think about it. It's too hard for us. <laughs> To start to give up the measurements that none of us know. Because I, if I ask you now, how many cups are in a gallon? Do you know? No, I do not. Of course not. How could you know? Who would know? Okay? It's the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> but but you can tell me, by the way. I love this, though, though, right? <laughs> how many, um, you know, how many meters are in a kilometer, right? A thousand. Thank you. Wow, what a concept, right? How hard is that, right? <laughs> 
And, and, and here's the thing, something that's simple, that's easy as a country. It doesn't cost us anything. We're not talking about taking one-seventh of the economy. We're simply saying, hey, let's make sure that our kids will know how to do measurements and weights in the future. Forget, we didn't have to learn it. Let's just teach it to our children so that they would learn it, so that they could actually be with the rest of the world, right? And, and somehow we couldn't even do that. Right, we we couldn't mm. move from 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 so say Fahrenheit to Celsius. How about that? We we'll just do one thing, part of it then, right? The entire rest of the world has to get a damn calculator to know how warm it is or cold it is in the U.S. and vice versa. Everybody, all right, is using one right. sensor measurement, and we can't even move to something that simple because we're literally stuck on stupid. And we're like the people who simply said, "Whatever, we're not going to learn anything new ever again as a nation." We're not going to change and, and, and adapt. We're certainly not going to do any, any any green energy or global warming because that would require that costs money. We can't even do the free stuff, right? Like change the units of measurement, <laughs> change the sign outside the bank that says how hot it is. We can't even do that the thing, right? That's how simple that is, right? And, and, and so you know, that thought was like, well, well we're going to get the heck out of here because we're just. I mean, this isn't you know, we get the racism part. The challenge is finding somewhere. Assuming you could go and you know and and, and you know and and sort of square with your conscience, you know, leaving other people behind, or maybe bring all the black people with you. I do have this theory. Tell me what you think of this. I think all the black people could go together and start a Wakanda, and, and, and the U.S. would pay for it. I think Trump and his people would be more than happy to pay whatever we asked for us to get the hell out. Okay. And if we were willing okay. to go and, and, and you know, and, and I think they would buy the land from us, Right uh, for us um, in Canada, or uh, Canada, a lot of Canada's empty. Uh, maybe if we want to go to the real Wakanda, you know, they would buy part of, um, <laughs> you know, um, you know, Uganda for us, and, and would, would would pay, you know, us several years um, to be there because we'd be gone. Um, but 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 the challenge is, if we went to you know any existing place, is where do you where do you actually go where racism wouldn't sort of re up it's it's you know reappear one of the things i find interesting is is that it normally is easy or, or people are very very good as long as there are just a few people of color there mm. there was a town and um daily show just did a thing about it that there was a mayor in some town in, in montana who black brother only like three brothers in a town. Yeah, I saw it. You saw it, right? Montana. But, but the brother won yeah. the mayor thing, right? And, and, I, and I've seen that happen in other places. I knew a black guy who grew up in, in Idaho telling me that you know, seven black people in his town and you know one of them was the mayor. Because if they're just a few, they're not worried about you. You know, Think about it. How are you going to have a barbecue with seven people? But I think you know, when, you, when you have a, 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 but when you get to a threshold of black people, then it becomes a little scary for people. And, and and you start having problems. So we look at all these places that look wonderful to us now, the Australians or wherever. And it's like, yeah, that's because you have four black people. Right, right. <laughs> and they're not so well, good with their aboriginals, by the way. Um, they're kind of horrible with them. But, you know, but the four non-aboriginal black people, you know, you got from Europe or, you know, or Africa, um, you, you're fine with them. You love them. But but could you do with four million of them? Well, you know, and, and the interesting thing, because one of my, my travel plans is ultimately to go to the continent of Africa. But the interesting thing there is they have this constant struggle trying to get against uh, colonialism and white supremacy and some of the things historically that have been set up in different countries of Africa as well. Um, they had a story, I think, towards the beginning of the year 
about a new president in South Africa that was taking the land back from uh, the, the white Afrikaans, right. mm-hmm. reallocating it back to black people, and that they were training folks with guns and preparing for war and all of this stuff that was allegedly supposed to happen because of this uh, power and resource transfer. But, you know, in, in my opinion, I feel like you have to be exposed to these issues because everybody had to deal with white supremacy or colonialism in some fashion. Mm-hmm. And we all took different routes from dealing with it. Some people tried to treaty it away. Some people tried to war it away. Some people tried to buy it off. Like every, everybody took different positions and it led to different results. And it gives you more tools in your tool belt on how to deal with everyday racial situations. I think the biggest thing I've learned from traveling is I've learned that as a, as an American citizen, we are very egocentric, right? So even when we were talking earlier about the, the transformation to metric, when you're driving on the highway and you're used to miles per hour and you see signs now say <laughs> you can't go 70 kilometers, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, what, what is that? What does that mean? So now you're in this frenzy trying to figure out what's the speed limit. Um, even when you have to pay for something a different currency, like uh, when I had to order, I order food at the restaurant, me and my family, and the bill comes, and the bill looks way higher than what I'm used to paying at those same restaurants <laughs> in America, and I'm too stupid to realize that the currency system is completely different. Mm-hmm. And when you recalculate it, it's still more expensive than it is in America, <laughs> but it's not as expensive as you as thought. You thought. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> so little things like that, you you need to have that opportunity so that you can kind of, A, laugh at yourself, and B, realize, hey, here's, here's people in the borders of another sovereign institution who – are living just fine. They're buying houses. They're, you know, uh, voting. They're going to school, doing whatever they, they want to do. And this guy hasn't fallen in on them yet. And they're not doing it the American way. If anything, I think a lot of people in Canada, Canada was a mixed bag. You have some people who were very, very pro-America and they were like, you know, they're our partners. We're, we right, love right, America. Right. And then you have other people who laugh at us and they're like, but y'all voted for Trump though. <laughs> and the hard part is, as much as much as they were clowning Trump as an American, and this is like, I, I don't know, this is weird, especially as a black person, but as an American, you feel some type of way. Like, I'm, I feel like as a black person, we adopt the city that we were born in. Okay. And we can talk about it amongst other perfect, people. Perfect, perfect, you can. Right, right, right. But when, when somebody else talks about it, we're supposed to come together like Voltron and stand up against the outsider. So as an American, I felt like, no, I don't care what's going on with Donald Trump. If they're going to talk about it, we're going to talk about how great America is. The problem is the Donald Trump jokes cut so deep <laughs> and they hurt so bad. And I don't have anything to say except so. <laughs> That's all I have. And and I just didn't, you know, I felt like I did my country a disservice. Uh, I didn't really know what what kind of retort I could have. And this was, you know, keep in mind, I was in Canada when this whole fiasco about Putin handing uh, oh, yeah. a soccer ball with spy equipment. <laughs> like, and, and so you're sitting at the bar and everybody's just laughing at how dumb he is. And I'm sitting here mad at Donald Trump. Like, how you gonna make me look like this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> How you gonna do me like this? Donald Trump? Man, first of all, you got to realize the first thing you got to do when you go overseas is get you uh, uh, an African accent. 
All right, you need you need you need <laughs> you need to sound like uh you know Eddie Murphy and and coming to America. That's the first thing you got to do. Um, but 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 secondly, you know the idea that for, for example, I think you know the nice thing I think about travel is is that like you get to say like I said that other people are doing things. I guess what you know they they're using the metric system and they and then and they're still able to count and, and measure stuff, right? That right. you know they have a healthcare system and that people aren't you know as we always you know I think you know the American myth is oh my God you get socialized medicine and people dying in the street. How many people you see down the streets? Right? None. Well, you get to see that people could do things a different way. Well, they, you know, you could do things a different way and still have, you know, success. These people still have good lives, probably in most metrics are, you know, better than ours because of the you know extreme poverty we have in, in some contexts. And, you know, that'll be a good thing, I think, for, for a lot of people to do, like you said, is, is to see, you know, more of the world. Um you know, the weird part though is, and I ain't doing it. I can't say this because I'm not a world traveler as much as I, I'd like to. I haven't been to Africa yet. Gotta go. It's on my bucket list. Um, haven't been to, 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 to Europe actually, to tell the truth. So I gotta get out of the, I gotta get out of the hemisphere. Um, but you know, it seems to me that the idea that, you know, you'd spend your entire life, you know, in this tiny, tiny corner of, of the world. Without any, you know, it almost seems weird that, you know, we, you know, I know, for instance, when I was in college, there were a lot of, um, you know, quote unquote foreign exchange students. Right. And as American, it never even occurred to me to go somewhere like even for a semester. So even like my friends and, and, and my wife went to, you know, France for a year. Being, you know, typical born and raised American, I was like, why would you ever go there? We got all the stuff here. Right. <laughs> We got French fries. Thank you. We, we got French fries. We got French kissing. All right. Uh, you know, we're just coming up with a little French roast coffee. Like, why in the world would you go all the way there to get the good stuff? It's all here. And you can get ranch dressing here. Like, you know, like the idea of leaving, you know. But I think if we had more of that, then maybe we could see that, you know what? Maybe people aren't as stupid as we think they are. And they might have a good idea or two that we can borrow from them. Yeah, and, and you were talking earlier about um, the, the the Chinese way of looking at society as opposed to the American way of looking at society, and, and being more of a communal effort than it is uh, the one the one person who has the skill and ability to transcend. Yeah, and and we actually talked about this, and I talked about this a, little, a few days ago on Facebook with regard to, to race here. So I think it fits in very well. Which is, I saw this video for Frederick Douglass. And they're talking about the wonderful life, an amazing life of Frederick Douglass. What are you going to say? Amazing life. The guy escaped slavery. And and the lesson they said, the lesson to be learned from this is that, you know, you you never give up in America. You can always make it. And I was like, no, no, the lesson to be learned here (laughs) is that so many people allowed this this brilliant man, right, to live his whole life in slavery because basically the entire country was like, whatever. And the lesson we learn should be more of a communal lesson, not what one extraordinary person can do, because we always have that person. But but right. what, what what can we do to make sure we get the rest of the Frederick Douglasses out? And this is what we're talking about in China. So I saw this video online about kids dribbling a ball, and they're dribbling the ball basketball very well. You know, one of those videos you see. Remember, see the ones that set to music, and it's dun 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 dun, dun right? And the kids right. between the legs, behind the back, incredible. Well, the Chinese video was just like this, except for the fact they had 50 kids, and I'm not exaggerating, doing this all together at the same time. And and and, and the question was, well, you know, how long did it take you to do 50 kids, right? It must take forever. It takes, think about it. We get one kid like this. It takes forever to, to train them. 
And, and, and why would you, you know, do this? And they said, no, you don't understand. We wouldn't do it unless we can get 50 kids to do it. It doesn't make any sense for us as a society to push for anything that we can't get a, 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 you know, a, a significant number of our people trained to do. It, it's just mm. ridiculous because what are we going to do if we only have one person who can do this? How, how is that a skill that's useful to us as a society at all? And in America, we're just the opposite, where even in our school systems, we're not trying to teach for all the kids. What we do is we pick out the first top 20% or so, and we say, okay, we're going to gear most of our resources, academic resources to them, most of our training, computer training, et cetera. And the bottom, at least half, probably more, we'll just, you know, get ready for the factory when we used to have factories. Now we're getting them ready to drive. Ooh, I don't know what we're getting them ready for. Right. But the idea was never that we need to make sure that we get our situation, you know, education. And if you ask people about this, oh, absolutely. We don't do that. We don't want to slow down the fast kids. Right. For, mm-hmm. for 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 the slower kids. And there's some logic to that. But the problem with that is how do you build a society where you got only one LeBron James? And it works for basketball, but not for medicine, not for engineering. Right. And then we almost have a society like that now where we have a few very exceptional Americans. And then we have, you know, uh, other people that we got ready for the factory, but we shipped all the factory jobs out now. So what else are we supposed right. to do? Right. And, and we don't want them to have access to any resources that will allow them to improve themselves. So even on Facebook, I had a conversation with a young lady from the Midwest who was like, no, no, we don't want uh, free education and we don't want <laughs> universal health care because that would just give it to everybody. And that's not that's not American. That takes our freedom. So, <laughs> well, what freedom is that? The freedom to get sick. The freedom to be ignorant. Like what, what freedom do you not want to lose? So, um, you know, it definitely comes down to to a priority system. And I think that it's important. Like we talk a lot about racism, of course, because the show is called Brothers in Law, and uh, <laughs> and uh, obviously because we're two black guys, very highly educated black guys talking about uh, largely the issue of race. So we talk a lot about it. And I think part of it is understanding. My mom used to tell me when I was little that racism is ignorance with a face, right? So the formula here is one of those things where it took me forever to learn. But when you travel and you go and you see how you treat it, not to say other places aren't racist. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is racism can take many different forms, but it can also be more subtle or more in your face. Right. right. And a lot of places is a lot more subtle. Um, so when you go to these other places and you can feel or have the illusion of inclusion, mm-hmm. then it makes it very difficult when you come back to America and have to deal with the over political uh, politicalization of our uh, climate right now. When people are just committed to a party, but not committed to general welfare and well-being of a community. Mm-hmm. Um There was a lady I heard on the radio on the way back who they were questioning. I think it was Don Lemon was questioning why she would support Trump in light of the fact that he was misogynist, racist, maybe colluded with Russia. Probably (laughs) Uh, like like why would she side with him? And she was like, well, because he's Republican. And he was like, "Okay, so basically, if uh, Hitler ran as a Republican, you would vote for him. And she was like, that's so far-fetched. I can't believe that you would ask me that. And it's like, but that's what you just said. That's what you said. That's what you just said. So, you know, I think people don't even realize sometimes they've been so indoctrinated in 
it's either got to be Republican or Democrat or whatever, whatever, that they forgot about issues. Everybody in any country should want all of their citizens to have a minimum amount of education. It just, it helps everything. <laughs> I love when people are informed about issues on the voting ballot because I hate when people go in and be like, man, you know what Prop 37 is? Nope, I just voted no to it. It's probably going to cost me money. Like, well, <laughs> what, if Prop, what if Prop 37 was helpful to you? And you just voted no because you didn't like it was an odd number, right? That's not, that's not what we want in our society. You know, but I've said that for a while, and people get mad when I say that. And I'm always like, look, everybody should go vote. All right, go into Boot and bo- vote because, you know, we don't want to get a situation where pe- certain people, you know, get out of the habit of voting. They'll, the Republicans will use that as a way to purge the polls and air the voting rolls and all that. But if you don't know about the particular topic at hand, like the prop, there's no reason that doesn't say once you get in the, in the booth that you have to pull the lever for everything. Right. Wow. And so I, I did it myself. I'm a fairly educated guy. I did not vote in the 2016 in Arizona election. I voted on the election, but not on the question of who should be on um, the water council. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and the reason is I don't even know what they do. Right. So I was right. like, hey, why don't you allow the people who know what that's about, who care about that issue? I'm going to let that, that person, I'm going to give them that person my vote. I, th- I think they would do a better job with it than I would. I'm not going to sit here and just, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I shouldn't say that. I, 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 voted for, I voted for one person because they had a Latina sounding name, and that was close enough. I'm like, all right, at least I, 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 I saw my, my racist part. But but I, I do right. not know enough about the other people to be able to say anything about them at all, right? Whether they be good for the for, for that the water district and what the heck the water district even does. And so I think, you know, some of it, like I said, is that, you know, be informed you can, but if you can't, it doesn't mean don't vote at all, but don't just throw out your, you know, your vote on anything because you feel like, you know, you have to vote in your ignorance. If you don't know, then, you know, there's other, there's, I love that. It's not like, you know, the SAT where you might get a quarter extra point if you guess it right. Right. You just let it go. Right. <laughs> Show up. And just as a, a quick disclaimer for our listeners in, uh, in Flint, Michigan, you do want to know who your, who your water yes, you district do. people are. Absolutely. And you want to vote them out uh, and make, basically hold people accountable if they are running for it. And but also totally do not play. vote in their brothers who smoked crack last month. All right. So make sure you also get the whole family out um, and don't vote for the family members of the people who, who got you guys in that trouble. But perfect example is a great example of, you know, even even Flint. And we see Flint is Flint's, Flint's a perfect example of, you know, selective American exceptionalism. Right. Where if we have a a, a, a hurricane in florida or texas we can get all that rebuilt in an hour and a half if it's puerto rico uh maybe uh not um within the next couple of years if it's flint michigan uh <laughs> maybe not ever right right, right. even even by the way halftime you have a black president right because we've, we've mm-hmm. understood that you know the entire system is set up with there are certain people who have priority and, and others who don't and, uh, and, you know, black people and poor white folks, um, are, I love, I love that, that we can't convince our, our poor white brothers that, that, uh, uh, they're with us. You know, funny you should say that. I had a conversation with my wife on the long trip back from Canada and so much stuff had been put into perspective for me that I started pontificating and I figured it all out. I figured out the system. I figured okay. out the game. Okay. This is the game. And it it's all, it all goes back to 
the Civil War. All right. Hear me out. All right. So the Civil War, you've got people in the South who fought the war. Mm-hmm. The people who were fighting the war for the South largely were not slave owners. They right. were poor white people who Absolutely. didn't have jobs. Or they worked for slave owners in some other capacity, right? So the slave owner who's at home says, look, you need to take your butt out there because they're trying to free these slaves, right? right? And if they free these slaves, it's over for you, right? The slaves are going to be equal to you and you are supposed to be white. So they sold them on this notion of whiteness, right? And they sold them on the notion of collective whiteness, you are fighting for me as an extension of me because we collectively are white, right? Right. Now, right, right, right. In, the, in the North, who's fighting for the North? Poor white people, right? <laughs> but the difference was poor white people there who also probably did not have a lot of jobs up North were fighting for a country, right? right. And they were fighting because their leaders, their government was telling them, no, these people are going against your country. Right. So the, the concept of a hierarchy was developed from a northern poor white person saying, I am somehow better than the southern poor white person who is fighting right. because I am standing up for my country and they are not. Okay. And likewise, the southern person had to embrace some sort of quote unquote heritage in order to understand or to make sense of why they're basically trying to overthrow a government, right? right? So instead of adopting collective whiteness across gray and blue lines, what they did was the Southern white people who were poor created the Confederacy to be their heritage. Right. I don't I don't note my American ancestry. I note my Southern ancestry, right? right okay. And the people of North were like, okay, well, we don't care about that. Um, we essentially won the war. So when we won the war, all that stuff is dead to us. And if you want to cling to it, you can just be, you know, uh, somebody who makes love to their sister and doesn't have teeth. That's all that <laughs> matters to us. And we move on. Now, insert black people. One of the most pivotal things that happened in the Civil War is the North, when they started losing massive numbers of soldiers, began commissioning black officers and black military personnel into their ranks. So now, you take that Southern white guy who was sold the idea of collective whiteness, okay. right? And you see that the people who are supposed to be collectively white with him in blue uniforms have now armed black people, which exploited the initial fears that the, the rich planters and slave owners had instilled in their minds anyway. One day, black people are going to be equal to you. One day, black people are going to fight you back, right? And the and the issue causes such a rift socially between a poor southern white person and poor northern white people that it becomes irreparable, right? So even though you pledge allegiance and you cross your fingers behind your back, you're not really pledging allegiance. <laughs> I just want to get the funds to rebuild the place up or whatever the case may be. A southern poor white person in the 1800s will never look at a black person as an equal. It will never happen. And they probably won't raise their kids to look at a black person as an equal. Meanwhile, fast forward to 2018, you've got black people who are doing really well. Like black people own Fortune, run Fortune 500 companies. They have businesses. They're attorneys, accountants, doctors. 
I'm not going to say in droves, but I will say in a lot larger number than was anticipated. Okay. And the poor white person in the South can't figure out why. Like, what happened? What changed that gave them the elevation that was exploited to their grandparent or great grandparent to fight against? How did that happen? And at the same time, in northern states, same same phenomenon, right? Why, how is this happening? How are black people owning businesses and being successful? Why is P. Diddy on TV like this and having game shows with money? How did this happen, right? Uh-huh. And what it breaks down to me is one of the things that we have, have not done a good job in this country of doing is emphasizing the importance of a collective benefit. So with black people, we never had. So everything we got, we benefited from. Okay. If we if we didn't have a school during slavery, we weren't allowed to read. We weren't allowed to write. Well, after slavery ended and we got a freedman school, maybe the, the books were subpar. It wasn't what the white kids had, but it was a book, okay. right? And you take advantage of the book, right? And then you go and you get another book or you get another grade level, another teacher, right. and you expand. And then you take that knowledge back to your community and start your kids from a further point in time. So my grandfather was a sharecropper with a third grade education. My mother had some college education. Okay. I am a lawyer, right? I don't think that that's all coincidence. No, all right. I think everybody emphasizes you have to go and be better. Whereas the other side of the coin, the, the other side of the coin is, well, you don't necessarily have to do anything. The country owes you because you're white, right? right? The country owes this, this thing because of collective whiteness and it's just supposed to work out. So when it doesn't work out, it's frustrating because that's all, you know, you don't know about struggling to come up and get it on your own. And I'm not saying to all white people, but I'm just saying a lot of people don't understand the struggle or what had to be invested or that black people plan for generations yet to come. Right. So Jay-Z is talking about, you know, he wants his grandkids to be straight. Like, He's planning for for generations that aren't even thought of yet. Uh, And in order to get you from one point to the next, everybody had to give back a little bit and maybe even not realize their dream in order for their kids to realize a dream. So I think this is something that's synonymous with not just black culture, but immigrants who come to America and they work hard and they say, look, I may never have the Maserati. Right. But maybe I can put my kid in school when he goes to college. And then that college kid is supposed to honor the culture they come from, they came from and bring back and reinvest. And that's why LeBron opening this school up to me is the most powerful thing in the world, because LeBron James is one of those people who were just freakishly talented. They stepped out. They came from very modest circumstances and did a lot. But what it also exposes to me is the lack of America's concern for dealing with the stuff that we're supposed to be committed to dealing with. We have compulsory education. So why is it that we can't have quality, sound, basic education (laughs) for everybody? Why do we need a LeBron James to come back and build a school for people to help them into college and to build relationships with the University of Akron and, and all these other schools in Ohio for college acceptance? If it wasn't a problem, we wouldn't need it. But somehow there's been colossal failures on the part of the government for which he has taken has stepped up and stepped in the gap to take um, that situation under his wing. And I applaud him for that. 
But I don't understand how anybody in 2018 can legit tell me that they don't believe that everybody should have access to basic sound education. I, I will never understand that. Well, no, and here's the thing that's bizarre to me is, like you said, it's not just a matter of equity and justice. It's just an economic matter that makes sense, right? Why would you want to pay to house people in prison when you could make sure that they had educational opportunities who were less likely to go to prison? And I think there's two parts to it. One part to it is an idea that says, you know what, it, it doesn't matter what we do. Because some people have have given up and basically think that there's an innate criminal criminality about black people. So if you put them all in Harvard, there'd still be some percentage, you know, some large percentage that, that turned to a life of crime. So there's that inherent racism. And then there's the other part that says, hey, and I love this one, right? You know, you know, we should not, um, you know, re- reward people, um, you know, b- Parents for, 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 for being poor. Those parents whose kids go to those schools, you know, they should have to pay the price for, 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 for mm. quote unquote bad choices for being poor because we think of poverty as being a moral failing and not a, you know, a, a, a set of circumstances that, you right. know, we might, and that's part of the problem I have with the Frederick, Frederick Douglass uh, you know, analogy is a white person will look at Frederick Douglass and said, Hey, he made it. He came out of slavery. So 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 so, right. so 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 why can't you do it out of out, out of a, a crappy inner city school? And it's like yeah, because he was a damn genius, and there's going to be one of him. There's like going to be one guy who's six eight and you know runs like a gazelle, right? But 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 the most of the people, and this is what we're talking about China. China's idea says no, no no. Unless we can build a system in which the vast majority of us can succeed in this, we're not building it. Right. Right. And, and we don't seem to take that tack as we did. We say, hey, we need to make sure we have schools. And it's just the most obvious thing in, in, in the world. And also there's another thing about it, which is and this is why what serves me most about America is that there is a level of cruelty in us that likes the idea that certain people, whether they be white or black, do go to prison. That 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 mm. there is a think, think about it. We are a country where. We all know what happens in prison. We all know about uh, uh, about the most brutal violation we could all imagine, right? Rape. Right. And we laugh and make jokes about the, the soap. This is... Right. Think about what kind of country that says about us. We have two million people now currently behind bars, presumably, you know, being raped by, you know, one million being raped by the other million, and... It's not an issue. We think of that, hey, you know, that's good. We, we, we like it that way. That gives you a real incentive to stay out of prison. Mm. Right? By the way, here's what I love about it. The fact that it's supposed to give you this great incentive, we still have a, a per higher, you know, um, prison um, rate than almost any country in the world. I think like, maybe we're behind, like, you know, Saudi Arabia or, or in Russia. But we have, like, so, so even in a country where we put these draconian, absurd, barbaric conditions of prison, we still find a way to lock up enough people. One, because it's profitable a little bit. And two, because we like a little a little cruelty in our system. We, 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 we like the idea that, you know what, some people are going to be, you know, crying themselves to sleep tonight. But that, 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 that makes the rest of us feel a little better about ourselves, that, that we made right. good choices. And, and that's the part that, that to me is so disturbing because it's not... You know, there are arguments about policy and all these things, the metric system, whether that's a better system. But there's some things that to me are just so inherently, you know, you know that show that we're just 
as a as a nation a, a bar, almost a barbaric people I mean cruel and, and you know I, I saw a, they had another shoot, a, a police shooting recently in Minnesota. The shooting itself, I'm not going to fault the officers so much because there was a brother running away from him. Um, he has a gun in his hand. The cop is yelling him, please shoot. You know, no, not please, but you know, shoot, I'll kill you, MF. Shoot, shoot, I'm gonna shoot you. Drop the gun, drop the gun. The brother is not dropping the gun. He eventually shoots an a, a armed black man. But the man had a gun, all right? The police chief comes out and they say, we're not going to press charges. Okay. I, I could possibly accept that. Says, here's what he says. We also think that these two officers, the officer here should be commended. Right. Wow. Should be giving, you know, and, and, and the idea was like, wait a minute. It's one thing to say, Hey, this is an unfortunate situation. It could not be helped. Right. We're sorry. We know maybe we should look at training as to how we got into the chase. But once the chase started, it had to end this way. We're very sorry about this, but you know, we hope to, and that's not the, the thing. I don't know. This is the right. This is exactly what we should teach other people to do, right? We, we, you know, and you'll see it that there is a glee in some of our citizens in these cases of of people being shot down, where it's like, yeah, hey, you know, you didn't listen to the officer, and therefore we want a nation in which if you do not listen, uh, you die. Yeah, especially black people. Absolutely. Oh, especially us. Especially us. Well, well, you know, yeah, exactly. No one's shooting. What do you say? What do you say? Well, I think the reason why is because people see on TV affluent blackness and it makes the it makes their skin crawl. It makes their skin crawl to see Puff Daddy sitting on TV <laughs> with money. It makes their skin crawl. So for them, you know, the, the whole caste system that a lot of times has been presented to them since birth, it breaks when they see a LeBron James. God, okay. school. It, it breaks. And so they need to reinforce what they thought the truth of the matter is. God, okay. And that's what happens when they see a police officer kill a black person because the assumption is always guilt. Now, I'll be honest, I saw that same video and they were talking about this guy was firing in the air with a gun. The police got out, but on the video, it looks like he's kissing a baby or something like that. And then he starts running. And yeah, maybe there was a gun. I couldn't really see. But, you know, even with that, it was weird to me. Um, and and I never I don't know how anybody could say these officers should be commended, but I had to check myself too because while I was in Canada, uh, some of you may have heard there was a shooting in Toronto, in the Danford uh, district, and there was a guy they say it was a mentally ill guy who shot ten random people in Danford. And me watching this, this is breaking news when we were in Canada. Me watching this, the first thing I thought was that's only ten people. <laughs> Right. And I, and I thought I was like, and I'm thinking we we see black people shot every day. Every day. We see uh, school shootings when school is in session pretty much once a week, uh, mm. mass school shootings. And I'm thinking, what's 10 people? Right. right. And yeah, do better, the, the be degree best. of attention, like, I mean, this was an all day thing. The degree of attention that they put on this mentally ill man who shot 10 people was shocking to me. They were actually trying to figure out who these victims were and get their backstories and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, how many black people got killed? And it was up to the black community to disseminate information about who they were. Right. The right. only thing we knew from the news was that they had a criminal record from mm. 25 years ago. Right. That's the only thing we knew. Um, and there's a reason why that's presented, too, because nobody wants to see Jay-Z at the loop. They, they, <laughs> they want to see black people doing wrong. And it reinforces 
a notion of supremacy and a notion that of self-worth in a lot of people. It reinforces that notion that they are better than someone else based on this concept of collective whiteness that really was all a farce sold to them by people with money. So the real issue is people with money find creative ways to divide you in all sorts of ways to vote against your own interests. People who say they don't want universal health care or universal uh, education, they're getting you to vote against your own interests. That's what they're getting you to do. And you are just swallowing the Kool-Aid and falling for a hook, line, and sinker. So that's why education is so important and people need to be able to understand what's going on in their communities. Well, absolutely. So let me ask you this as we get sort of ready to wrap up here. Is, 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 right, so, so are you thinking that would you, would you ever leave America, I guess, and what would you want in your new country right, to make it worth it? Um, I would never leave America, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Um, I, I have pictures of my ancestors who were slaves, and for me, I look at those things every week. And okay. I feel like the degree of sweat equity, blood equity that's been invested in this country is not something that I'm willing to concede just because things got rough. I feel like it could always okay. be worse. And that despite the fact that things are not ideal and where I would want them to be, we are still light years from where they used to be. Uh, and I feel like I have a responsibility to them to continue that trajectory. Now, it, that said, I still think that if I could go anywhere in the country, if let's say America didn't exist anymore, um, my guess would be Ghana. Uh, I haven't been to Ghana yet and I'm making plans to go there. But the thing I like about Ghana is it has a history of connectivity with the African-American community. So uh, a lot of people don't know that during the 50s and 60s, uh, a lot of Ghanaians would come to HBCUs to learn and go back to Ghana. But also a lot of our most notable and prominent African-Americans would go to Ghana to teach. So Maya Angelou, W.E.B. Dubois, um, they have deep roots over here in Ghana. There was actually a guy, I think he was a student at Harvard University named Kwame Nkrumah, who went back and became the president of Ghana and basically said that all African-American people are lifelong citizens of Ghana. They will always be accepted in Ghana as citizens. And it created a a big wave of affluent black people who were able to travel going to Ghana and they foster black tourism. They want you to be reconnected with your roots. They want to introduce you to Ghanaian styles. They have nice beaches. They have great hotels. They have great people. Everybody know who goes there always does Facebook live and they're always in shock because there are no flies jumping on any kids' faces. It's it's people (laughs) like kids have regular schools. They play basketball just like you do. It's like America without the police brutality. So I would love an opportunity to go to Ghana and to kind of build roots. Not to mention, uh, a lot of people don't know, my mom actually used to live in Ghana. Uh, she lived in Ghana for several years. Yeah. And, uh, and, and she has really fine memories about her time there. So I kind of feel like it's my birthright now to go over there and visit the University of Accra and kind of walk where she walked and, and see what she saw. Um, so that would be my vote, but I would want a place where not so much that you could avoid 
concepts of white supremacy because they still have issues too with um, former colonialism, but a place where you can actually see black excellence thrive, like a place where you can see, you know, black artistry. Um, people, it's the subtle things in America that really bother you, like the beauty standard in America. You're not going to see black people as the beauty standard, but we know that we're beautiful. Right. Um, you're not going to see our artwork. You're not going to see a lot of our books in the library. Like you're just not going to see certain things that in an African nation it's going to be more prevalent, and they won't have any concept of these books being barred or banned from the library because it's of the culture. So right, right, right. That that would be my vote. You know, I I would definitely want to. You know, it's funny because I've actually mapped this out somewhat. So I want to go back to the continent too. Remember, I make a living as a speaker. So I, fortunately or unfortunately, whatever the case may be, there are a fair number of African countries, uh, particularly Western African countries, um, that have English as their primary language. So for example, Nigeria. All right. Um, and so I've looked at sort of trying to set a speaking tour there, but also to look as like, okay, if I had to, you know, leave America, um, you know, for me, it would be important, which is a stupid reason, but it is important for at least for me to make a living and do what I do, um, uh, to be able to speak English. Right. Um, and then, um, you know, the other thing is though is I think, you know, as, uh, and I'm going to make it serious, a serious point and, you know, take it off my bucket list and be, you know, on my list of stuff to do now is to get there, right? To see and, you know, and, and, and it has to be, you know, a while, but, you know, as, as, as you know, think about it, you know, Malcolm makes his pilgrimage to Mecca, right. right? That should really be, I think, for most of us, our Mecca. And I know a lot of black people who, who whose Mecca has been, um, you know, the Eiffel Tower, um, or has been, um, you know, the white sands of Jamaica. And, and those are beautiful places. Um, but, or Hawaii, right? But I think, you know, just, you know, the thing about, you know, now it's like, you know, it really should be the case that, you know, all of us should at some point try to get back because I think, especially, you know, for our kids, you know, saying like, having my kids see that, yeah, you could be in a place where actually the people who are the bankers, Right. And and the president and everyone else is a person of color. It changes that perspective a lot. And they did have the advantage of growing up, you know, during the Obama era. Um, but the idea that, you know, it's not just Obama, it's not just one or two special people. The entire nation, you know, is, is filled with special people. It makes a difference. For even you know, even when we come back, it makes a difference for for their perceptions, and so um, I, I agree with you. You know, this is gonna like I said, moving it up. It, it's gonna be a, 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 by 2020. Um, I will be setting foot, you know, on, on some African um, soil um, somewhere in my Crocs. Right, right. <laughs> I leave my Crocs behind. Uh, that might be the only good thing about America. Well, while we're here. Uh, let's go ahead and do a special shout out. So if there's anybody in Ghanaian government or Nigerian government who is listening to the podcast, who <laughs> wants to sponsor, <laughs> sponsor some tickets, we can definitely do a show uh, in your country. Uh, if you, uh, you know, give us some tickets, show us a good time, show us around and uh, pay us. Uh, and we'd be more than happy to uh, come on out do our thing and experience the beauty of your culture. So I'm, I'm actually in a debate. Uh, I used to teach a, a class overseas to students in Nigeria and Kenya. 
And I'm actually mm. in a debate with some of those students because they've been trying to get me to come over for a while. And I was like, okay, they want, right. to go to Ghana. they want me to go to Nigeria and then we're going to Kenya. So I'm, so I would say African countries, make a pitch to us. Tell us which country is the best <laughs> and why. And, <laughs> and we can, we can be the judge. We can take a tour and we can, we can adjudicate and come up with our conclusion as to who should win the award. And maybe we can make this an annual thing. Who knows? But uh, we can come up and definitely make, uh, you know, settle the debate. We can also settle the debate about who has the best Joloff Rice. We can settle, we settle the debate. So uh, definitely reach out. And also want to let you know the other thing that Canada was very, very uh, generous in giving me was uh, Crown Royal, which is a Canadian whiskey. They have brands of Crown Royal at the duty free in Canada that you cannot find in America. And I was fortunate enough to get two of those and bring those back for my enjoyment. So uh, did it still come so back? I, in, does, does, it, does it come back in a little purple knapsack? Is still you still get your knapsack? Uh, I got a special edition that actually has a gold knapsack. Uh, oh, that's gold. Very right, fair enough, you so, <laughs> so I definitely thank Canada for producing that, and uh, you know. I was going to say, Hennessy, come back and sponsor us, but y'all had your chance. So, Crown Royal, <laughs> if you want to come through, you know, I'm all about moose and maple leaves and <laughs> everything else. But uh, any sponsors, McDonald's, you're on notice. Uh, any sponsors that want to uh, kick in and have us, you know, shout you out, definitely let us know. And uh, for those of you who haven't already done so, please be sure to like us on our Facebook page, Brothers in Law. It's B-R-U-T-H-A-S-N-L-A-W uh, on Facebook and all social media. That's it, everybody. Thanks so much. We will um, see you ne- next time. Oh, oh, no. Where's this bumper music? Where, where, where's the bumper music, Jesse? Because we, we can't go out without the bumper, right? All right, so here we go. <laughs>